Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. So, uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus asked uh, those in the towns of Galilee this question. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? That was his question to the leaders and to the people in the town of Galilee. Now, I've got a suspicion that if Jesus asked us that question today, many of us would say a big fat yes to that question. Who's with me on that? Yeah, we are, right? This is how we kind of feel at the moment. We are not just physically tired, but we are also emotionally tired. We are tired at an emotional and a soul level too. And there's probably a few reasons for this. Uh, One of them, of course, is the past reason. And that is we have uh, just lived through uh, three or four years now, uh, calendar years anyway, of significant challenge and uncertainty to do with the impact of COVID. COVID has left a residual impact on us all. And it has left some significant debris Uh, Debris such as anxiety, angst, fatigue, disappointment, poor mental health and a whole lot more. And this has impacted us personally. It's impacted us all as as family, as as a church, in your work environment. It's had an impact across the board. But perhaps the biggest contributor to our tiredness is the cultural moment that we actually find ourselves in. You see, we live in a fast-paced, 24-7 FOMO culture where the most common answer to the question is, how are you, is good, but... See, I don't need to tell you this. We know this. We, we experience this. This is our everyday life. Imagine if somebody responded to you and you asked them how you are and they said this. They said, do you know what? I am so good. I am so rested. I just feel so at peace right now. Like, just, uh, just, I have so much space in my life, so much margin. I just don't know what to do with. Just so, so rested right now. You would, you would be shocked, right? That would be, you would not be expecting that as a response. You see, whether you are a parent or you are a grandparent juggling the demands of young children and grandparents, I know that you juggle a lot of demands as well of, uh, of parenting and grandparenting, or you're a professional facing the challenges and opportunities of a, maybe a growing business or just the unrealistic expectations of dissatisfied people, or you're a student even, and you are just wrestling with the constant demands of assignments and impending deadlines, life can feel like a grind, and we are all there in some way or not. You see, our cultural moment is one where people are drastically overworked and underslept, We work too much and we sleep too little. We are overspent yet unsatisfied and underwhelmed. We are overconnected, overstimulated, yet we're relationally isolated and distracted. 
Our modern world celebrates accumulation, achievement and accomplishments. And so there is a continual pressure to upgrade, to upgrade our life, to upgrade our stuff, to upgrade our jobs, to upgrade our tech, to upgrade our vacations, to upgrade our life. Psychologists actually believe now that many of us suffer from something called hurry sickness. And psychologist Maya Friedman, she defines hurry sickness as this, as a behaviour pattern characterised by continual rushing and anxiousness, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Who, in all honesty, finds that they suffer from hurry sickness? There's a few hands going up and the others, you're just kind of going, yeah, I probably do, I just don't really want to own it and put it out there. But I'm going to put my hand up and say that for me, I find at times that this is something that I certainly uh, am affected by. Here's some of the symptoms that they say of hurry sickness. It includes irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, emotional numbness and non-stop activity. Maybe now you're thinking, they're going, yeah, yeah, maybe I do suffer a little bit from hurry sickness. Many are calling it the Western pandemic. And so to sum it all up, we have a culture that is literally facilitating exhaustion. It's got exhaustion on tap for us. One that is spiritually forming our souls into a state of restlessness. And the more this happens, the more we long for restfulness. Catholic priest and author Ronald Ronheiser, he writes this, he says, restfulness is one of the most primal cravings that humans have. We crave rest to the point where we identify it with heaven. Grant us eternal rest. Today, as our lives grow more pressured, as we grow more tired, as we begin to feel burned out, we fantasise more about restfulness. So what does a life of restfulness look like? Well, in his great little book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, John Mark Comer, and who we've actually based a, a lot of this series around, is this little book and a series that he's done. But he gives this great list of restlessness and restfulness. He says that restfulness is margin over busyness. It's slowness over hurry. It's quiet over the noise. It's deep relationships over being isolated. It's time alone versus with the crowds. It's delight over distraction. It's enjoyment over envy. It's clarity over confusion. It's gratitude over greed. It's contentment over discontentment. It's trust over anxiety. It's working from a place of knowing that you are loved by God rather than working for love. It is work as contribution, not work as accumulation and accomplishment. So I wonder which list best describes your soul at the moment. If I was to ask you, how is your inner person, how is your inner man, your inner woman, how is your soul right now, what list 
would you gravitate towards? What list would you say is yours? Now, here's the thing, probably for a lot of us, and there is because there's no guilt here, but the reality is that we would probably resonate with a lot of list B, if we're really, really honest. And that we all struggle in this area, which is one of the reasons why we are doing this series, all right? That's why we're here, because in some way or another, this is the cultural waters that we find ourselves in, and we are being geared towards exhaustion and restlessness. So there is no shame or guilt on any of this. This is where we're looking to go to, is how is it that we can all actually say that that left side of the board is, is true of us. And so we are going on a journey over the next seven weeks. We're not just doing this in one day. We're not just doing this in one Sunday or over one week, but we're going to go on a little seven-week journey as we seek towards experiencing the restfulness of Jesus. Because here's what I know, and that is that rest is actually essential to our discipleship towards Jesus. Rest is essential to that. Why? Because it helps us to love God and it helps us to love other people well. I know this. I know that a rested Dan is a better Dan. You might know that for yourself too. Ask Ellie. She'll tell you that arrested Dan is a better Dan. Arrested Dan is a more loving Dan all round. And uh, that's, the, that's the truth, and maybe that's the case with you too. You see, without rest and lots of it, we simply cannot be the people that Jesus calls us to be. We cannot be the people that Jesus has in mind for us. We cannot live out the fullness of life, you'll remember, that Jesus says for us, that you will have life to the full. That's the message. That's the gospel message. That's not some kind of prosperity message. That's the gospel message that we would have life and we would have life to the full. We will never experience that fullness of life that Jesus has on offer unless we experience restfulness. So how do we do that? Well, in a world of exhaustion and restlessness, the message of Jesus comes as good news to us. It comes and it resonates to us. Why? Because Jesus comes to offer us the rest that we long for. He comes to offer us not just rest for our body, not just rest for our mind, but also significantly rest for our soul. And in Matthew, 28, uh, Matthew 11, 28, which we looked at earlier, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He goes on and he says this. He says, come to me. Come to me. And you will what? You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And he goes on. And next slide, I think we've got, I think there's one there. He says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'll make you successful. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll help you to achieve and to accomplish more. I'll help you to perform better. I'll help you to accumulate a whole lot more stuff. No, he says, come to me and I will help you find rest for your soul and help you to recover your life. You see, Jesus is simply saying this to us. He's saying that the way of the world uh, and the pace of the world will lead to you wearing out. If we live by the wisdom of the world, Jesus is saying, we will be marked by a few things. One of them will be burnout. One of them will be burden and the other will be compromise. 
He's saying we need to experience our rest in him. But following the way of Jesus, or as some other translations uh, talk about the way of Jesus, is the, the yoke of Jesus. Following the yoke or the way of Jesus, you will experience and will experience real life and true fruitfulness. And so one of the core practices from the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus that can help us break free from exhaustion and restlessness and tap into his rest for our souls is that of the Sabbath. And see, right after Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, right after he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, I'll help you to live freely and lightly. Do you know what he does in Matthew 12? He goes on and he shares not one... But two, Matthew does, Matthew goes on and shares not one, but two um, stories about Jesus on the Sabbath and Jesus and the Sabbath. This is Matthew's way of helping you and I to connect the dots between restfulness in Jesus and the principle and the practice of Sabbath. And so what is, what is Sabbath? And we're going to look at this more in the coming weeks, but here's a real just quick one for us today. What is Sabbath? In Genesis 2, at the end of the creation story, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were created and completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Do we hear that? The God of the universe rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The word here for rested in Genesis 2 is the Hebrew word Shabbat or Shabbat, which is where we get the English word for Sabbath. It literally means to stop or to cease, to stop working, to stop wanting. It is simply a day to stop. And so one of the stories about Jesus and the Sabbath that that Matthew goes on to tell is also recorded in Mark uh, chapter 2, and I want to have a a look at it. He says this, Mark chapter 2, he says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are, so this is the Pharisees are dobbing in Jesus' disciples, right? The Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, let me just stop there for a moment, just so we can work out and know what is happening here. Well, firstly, we see here that built into the way and the life of Jesus was a day every week that was set aside to press the slow-mo button and to stop. But on this Sabbath, we see that the religious leaders were having a crack at Jesus' disciples and they said, look, Jesus, your disciples are breaking all of the Sabbath rules. Now, sadly, uh, what this actually shows is that the religious leaders of the day had sorely missed the heart of God behind the practice of Sabbath. And so Jesus lovingly rebukes them. Do you hear what he says next? Have a look. He says this. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, or we could say the Sabbath was made for humankind, not man or humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of 
the Sabbath. This, this is key. This is a beautiful response from Jesus. Another way we could say it uh, is this, that Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. You see, Jesus was not doing away with the practice of Sabbath here. Jesus isn't anti-Sabbath. Rather, he's anti the legalistic, guilt-ridden religious culture that had totally missed the heart of God and the purpose and the principle that was wrapped around Sabbath. You see, Israel's religious leaders had added literally hundreds of other laws and regulations about what you can and you cannot do on the Sabbath in an attempt so that they wouldn't break the fourth commandment. It was, so they wanted to do this because they didn't want to get close to it. A lot of the rabbis call this building a fence around the Sabbath, kind of like if you went to a museum and there was a special piece of art. They'd wrap a fence around, you'd go around it so you can't get too close to it and touch it and break it. Well, this was what the rabbis did and they created hundreds of other laws around this that are on, built on top of the Torah. You could actually go and read them and find them in the Mishnah uh, which is all part of the Talmud, which is all additional extra biblical writings. And Jesus actually calls these other laws in other passages. He actually says that they are human traditions. And so that is what Jesus is anti. The adding on to his word of the things that aren't actually in scripture. And it went in, a good, in a good attempt from the religious leaders to not break the fourth commandment, they added all of this on. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's not actually how it works. Because in doing so, they had turned a life-giving gift of a day of rest and worship to God into a legalistic rule that ultimately sucked the life out of them. You see, Sabbath was ultimately given as a gift from God for the flourishing of humanity. And you can read that in Ezekiel, um, sorry, Exodus 20, 12. It was a gift from, from God for the flourishing of humanity. And as Martha Dawn says, he made the day holy, not because he wanted to spoil our fun, but because he wanted to deepen our joy. Isn't that amazing? Sabbath was made to serve you and I. Now, here's the thing. Fast forward to today. All right, fast forward 2,000 odd years from that point in time. Do you know what I think? I don't think we have a problem uh, that the, the Pharisees did. We don't have the same problem as them. We have the exact opposite problem to the Pharisees when it comes to the Sabbath. We haven't got hundreds of rules wrapped around the Sabbath like the religious leaders did. Rather, Sabbath, if we're honest, is hardly on our radars at all. Uh, maybe we think that it's something that other Christian traditions do or other denominations do. Maybe that's what we think. and We haven't actually spent time looking at the Sabbath. The Sabbath, we could, if we're honest about it, has been something that has been largely forgotten in our discipleship towards Jesus. A.J. Swoboda writes this in his book, Subversive Sabbath. He says, The Sabbath has been largely forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives. And listen to this. As what? As vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as if we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. 
Wow. I don't know if that's convicting for anybody, but when I first read that, it's not as if we don't love God, we love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. Church, our first and most important work is to be present with God. Like Martha, we can be too busy working for Jesus that we actually miss being with Jesus. And so in a culture that is conspiring to make us sick and tired, emotionally and physically, a culture that is spiritually forming our souls into a state of restlessness and exhaustion, the practice of Sabbath may well just be one of the most important and countercultural practices that we need to reawaken to right now to ensure that we are a people who remain present to God. Walter Brueggemann, he writes this, he writes, I've come to think that the fourth commandment on Sabbath is the most difficult and yet the most urgent in our society. Sabbath in the first instance is not about worship, it's about work stoppage. It's about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is alive and well today and we're going to look at this in about three weeks' time when we look at this idea of Sabbath as resistance the anxiety system of Pharaoh, the refusal to let one's life be defined by production, or we could go on and say by achievement, by accomplishment, by uh, whatever else we would like to say there. And I love this idea of Sabbath as resistance. You see, we need to see Sabbath for what God intended it to be, a gift of grace to us, to remind us that we are worth more than our work, that we are more valuable than what we produce. Sabbath is a reminder to you and I today that we are human beings. We are not human doings. And I don't know about you, but I need to know this and hear this and have this set deep into my soul because my preset is towards doing Tim Keller says, Sabbath is where you live like your work is done, even if it isn't, and that is healing. Sabbath is where you remember that he is God and the world will go on even if your list doesn't get done. How good is that? And Eugene Peterson warns this, he says, if you don't take a Sabbath, something is wrong. You're being too much in charge. You've got to quit one day a week and just watch what God is doing when you're not doing anything. Now, our Sabbath is uh, more than just a day off. So for those sitting there seeing the pillow on the screen and thinking that uh, this is great, Dan's just advocating, just getting a big sleep, uh, this is good, I'm just going to take a day off. We're going to see over the next few weeks that Sabbath is more than just a day off, but here's just a little teaser uh, for us. Uh, Sabbath uh, is a day that was blessed by God, and it was a day that was called holy, which means it, was, it is something other, it is something set apart. Uh, too often we seek rest in ways that are not actually restorative or renewing for us. You see, I think one of the things we're good at is we're actually good at relaxing, we're not actually all that good at renewing. We're not actually really that great at healing or restoring. Uh, Jesus performed many of his miracles and healings on the Sabbath. And why? Uh, was it just to show the Pharisees um, that they don't understand the Sabbath and to help them to uh, re-educate them? Well, maybe, possibly. 
But I actually wonder whether or not it's because Jesus does, Jesus does many of his miracles and healings on the Sabbath to show you and I that when we create space in our life for God, then healing happens and miracles are released in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our world, and that renewing and restoration flows forth when we create space in our lives for God. You see, Sabbath is about engaging in activities that are life-giving to your soul and that deeply connect you to Jesus and his restfulness. So what does this mean? It means maybe that binge-watching your favourite show on Netflix till 1am in the morning or scrolling through Instagram for four or five hours each night may be a good way to relax. But is it actually replenishing you and creating space for you to refresh your soul and to release healing and miracles? Let's be honest, it's probably not, right? And next week we'll spend some more time actually looking at, uh, looking at this and we'll look at what Sabbath actually is. We'll go through a biblical uh, theology in a way around what Sabbath actually is and we'll be encouraged to how it is that we could shape our own Sabbath. But that's for next week. Let me just ask this question today. Do you have a day in your week that is unlike any other? A day in your week that reminds you that the world keeps going even if you don't know what's going on. A day to stop, a day to rest, a day to enjoy your life, your world, and a day to delight in God. Now, you're all probably thinking, Dan, what do you do with Sabbath? So full disclosure moment. I am far from a Sabbath ninja, okay? Far from a Sabbath guru, all right? Uh, and I don't have, uh, at the moment anyway, a full 24-hour period in my week uh, that I Sabbath. However, I am learning to love and to practice and to enjoy the art of Sabbath. Sabbath, uh, for the last three or so years or more, probably around that time, has been increasingly capturing my attention and my heart. And so every year for the last three years, I have deliberately built in more and more moments and times of Sabbath in my week. And it has been good for my soul. It has been good for my family. It has been good for my sense of closeness with God, for my sense of peace. And after moments of Sabbath, there is no doubt about it, but Dan becomes a better human. And so that is why I do this and why I'm learning to do it more. And my hope would be that I would be able to spend more moments and time and periods of time in Sabbath. Now, let me just quickly address some objections that some people may have. Many people say, well, of course, you know, there are all sorts of disagreements and debates around Sabbath and whether or not as followers of Jesus we, uh, we have to still keep uh, the Sabbath. Uh, some will say, well, we're in the New Covenant now and so there's no command to actually keep uh, the Sabbath anymore. Others will say, well, it's one of the Ten Commandments, so why wouldn't we uh, still keep the Sabbath? You know, the other nine uh, we're meant to still keep, aren't we? Others will argue about the correct day, uh, when does Sabbath uh, begin, when does, it, when does it end? Others will argue, what, about, what are we meant to do on the Sabbath or, or not? How do we avoid it becoming legalistic and all of that? Well, honestly, in my opinion... I'm starting to feel that these objections miss the point. 
Why? Because ultimately, and we'll look at this a little bit next week, but ultimately Sabbath, as we saw early on, is a rhythm that was built into the very fabric of creation. And so if God has designed the world to work with a six-in-one rhythm, then we can ignore it, we can suppress it, we can make excuses for it, we can look for a way to get out of it, but going against that rhythm will have consequences for us. God has given Sabbath as a gift to serve us. Six days we work, but on the seventh we have the freedom of resting. How beautiful. A day to stop long enough to experience him. A day to step out of the traffic, to step away from the exhaustion and experience the restfulness of Jesus. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't need that today? Uh, John Mark Comer, he says this, he says, You can skip the Sabbath, it's not sin, it's just stupid. You can eat concrete, it's not sin, it's just dumb. And he goes on and he says this, he says, Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a way of being in the world. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes as a result of living in our Father's loving presence all day long, all week long. I love that. It's a way of being in the world. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes as a result of living in our Father's loving presence all week long. And so please hear me today. This series is not about giving you more laws and rules to obey, to add anything else on top of your life that is a heavy weight or a burden to anyone. That is not the point, and if Dan does that, we've missed the point. Rather, my hope is simply this, that over these seven weeks, you will get a vision of what life with God, creation, your family, and our world could look like and could actually be if we reawaken this gift of Sabbath. At the start of this year, I said this is a year of reawakening, in particular, reawakening our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. In um, the Sabbath, you'll find this in Exodus, it's listed as one of the fourth commandments. Many rabbis say it's, it's put in the fourth spot in the commandments that was given because the first three refer to our relationship with God and the last six refer to our relationship with others. And so it is the bridge, it is the way for us to have good relationship and love God and have relationship with and good loving relationships with others. So let me ask this today. What do you want for your life? What do you want for your life? Do you want a restless, exhausted, distracted and anxious you? Or are you living a life, or, or a you, sorry, that is living all of life with a sense of ease, gratitude, wonder, love, joy and peace? What do you want for your life? What do you want for your marriage? What do you want for your family. Walter Brugman puts it beautifully. He says, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. How good is that? So, each week, to help us into, uh, over the next seven weeks, each week we are going to uh, have a weekly habit that we are encouraging everyone uh, to do as a way of tapping into the restfulness of uh, of Jesus. And so this week's uh, weekly habit is a digital detox. 
all right? A digital detox. So, yeah, yeah, you're scared now, aren't you? Hey? Digital addiction, for many people, uh, the idea of turning off your devices for an extended period of time sounds terrifying, right? I get it, because digital addic addiction is real. Author uh, Anne Lemke says this, we're living in a time of unprecedented access to high-reward, high-dopamine stimuli. Uh, drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting. The smartphone is the modern-day hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine hits 24-7 for a wired generation. It's real. It's real. And we need to shift it. Now, there are many benefits to a digital and a weekly digital detox, uh, not least of which is actually an increased capacity to encounter God and one another in rest. Okay, so this week, out at the hub, okay, out in the foyer, is one of these. There's either an A4 one if, with a bit bigger writing, or there's A5 ones if you want to take. Put it on your fridge, and this week it's for you to do. If you don't take one of these today, then it's also up on the hub online. Okay, just go to the hub.rbc.org.au. I'm not asking. Do this first, okay? That way you can read it. And then, and then what I want you to do is to make a plan, okay? Make a plan. And if you want to have 24 hours to do this, and that's really what you want to do, go for it, all right? But uh, I want people just to start where they're at. Okay, because if you've never done a digital detox and you go straight from zero to 24 hours, you're going to have massive withdrawal symptoms. Like, it's, it's the way it's going to work, trust me. Um, so you might not want to do a full 24 hours. And some people, if they do 24 hours, they actually put in there, um, you know, every few times, you know, three times a day, maybe just to check their phone, just for anything if there's any emergency. But if you can't do a full 24 hours, do two hours. Do four hours, do six hours, do eight hours, just turn your phone off, all your other devices off, put them away because out of mind is, or out of sight is out of mind. This will give you, okay, will tell you how you could do it and a whole lot of other ways to assist you this week. So if you don't want to go to the hub online, go to the hub after the service and uh, get it. It will be good for your soul. But again, let me just say, this is not rules. This is not something to obey. This is simply best practice. This is best practice for us to spend time with God. This is not rules. This is an invitation from Jesus to you to spend time with him. And so I want to close today by reading a story uh, from Richard Foster. And he shares about a friend of his in, in one of his books, and I want to read that story, and this will kind of land us just into communion. Uh, he writes this, this is Richard Foster, he tells this story about a friend. He says, one day a friend of mine was walking through a shopping mall with his two-year-old son. The child was in a particularly cantankerous mood, fussing and fuming. The frustrated father tried everything to quiet his son, but nothing seemed to help. The child simply would not obey. Then under some special inspiration, 
the father scooped up his son and holding him close to his chest began singing an impromptu love song. None of the words rhymed. He sang off key. And yet as best he could, this father began sharing his heart. I love you, son, he sang. I'm so glad that you're my boy. You make me happy. I'm so proud of you. I like the way that you laugh. I love you, my son. You are my boy. I'm so proud of you. On they went from one store to the next. Quietly, the father continued singing off key and making up words that just did not rhyme. The child relaxed and became still, listening to this strange and wonderful song. Finally, they finished, car shop, uh, finished shopping and went to the car. And as the father opened the door and prepared to buckle his son into the car seat, the child lifted his head and simply said, Sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. Church, this story so beautifully captures the heart behind Sabbath. You accomplish nothing. You don't perform or achieve anything. And yet God still loves you because you are his child. That is what's behind Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda said it so beautifully. Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. It is not what we do. We are not who we are because of our accomplishments, our achievements, our worth is not placed in our work. We are who we are because we of who we are loved by. And in 1 John, we read these words. What marvellous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That is who we really are. This is what we need a reawakening of, is that reminder today that we are His. Sabbath helps us to remember that I am not God. You are not God. He is God. But we are his loved children. Who doesn't want to be part of that and to experience that more and more? Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.